Hey everybody, welcome to Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. My name is Daniel Trainer. I am your host. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time and checking us out. Uh, this is the second episode of the podcast that has now been on the Outsports Podcast Network, which has been such a fun experience. The first episode came out a couple weeks ago with professional wrestler Effie. The response has been great. The feedback has been really fun, and I really appreciate people checking out the show. Uh, If this is the first time you're listening to Same Team, I think it's a great episode for you to be checking in because my guest today is Kevin DeMille. So Kevin is currently an assistant coach uh, with George Washington University's women's basketball team, and it was a, a wonderful conversation. Kevin is such a smart, intellectual guy, talks about the sport of basketball in a way that <laughs> uh, is really enticing and intriguing. He loves basketball, and he loves where he is. So he uh, he spent some time at UConn, and if you know anything about UConn women's basketball, that's, that's kind of the place to be, especially when he was there. He talks about the experience of being there, uh, how intense that was, and how it sort of set him off on the path that he's on now. He talks about George Washington being a place of inclusivity, of of progressiveness, and and of a place where he can he can really be himself. And I, I think you'll hear him talk about that in a way that is really inspiring. And and you know I think what, what they're doing at George Washington is becoming more of the norm. Certainly, there's a, a long way to go. But you listen to somebody like Kevin who who can flourish in a space where he can fully be himself and. You know, the importance of that can't be understated. So it was really fun to get to chat with him. He's such a smart and funny guy. We get into a a conversation about television at the end. Uh, we get a little feisty with each other. You, you know, you'll hear it. You'll hear it come. I mean, when pop culture comes into play on this podcast, which it often does, my opinions uh, need to be heard. And they were heard. And Kevin made his heard, too. And I think we came to a nice compromise. Uh, so that's at the end. A lot of basketball talk. A lot of talk about life and love and everything in between. It was it was an honor to chat with Kevin. So uh, as, you know, college basketball is getting into play here in the next couple of weeks, it was a fun time to chat with him. So without any further ado, this is the same team one-on-one interview with George Washington, assistant women's basketball coach, Kevin DeMille. for doing this i'm i'm really pumped to to chat with you it's kind of a a good time to talk as you're sort of getting into high gear here i would assume yes good and good and uh it's like timely for good content not so good and i can't tell you where my brain is at the moment (laughs) well that'll make for a great conversation i think let's hope you're gonna be flying by the seat of your pants. So walk. So I want to get to I want to get to the beginning and, and sort of find out who you were growing up. But just while we're sort of on this topic, I mean, what what did you do today? What is a day in your life like right now? Yeah. So today was um, a, a, a an atypically quiet day for late October. I um, actually missed practice yesterday, which is not my favorite. Uh, but I was going out recruiting, okay. um, which I I love. It's like probably my f- second favorite part of my job other than coaching my current players is finding new ones to coach. Um, so I missed practice yesterday afternoon, had a chance to watch it on the road. Thankfully, uh, was at, uh, was recruiting. Uh, and then I, you know, I flew back early this morning. So I landed in DC just after 7am, went right to campus. Really lucky. I took the train there, took the Metro over to campus, and then I was um, watching a bunch of our practice film today. It was an off day, 
So I did a, uh, a bunch of work going back through our last seven or eight practices and clipping our offense and, and cutting some film to build a video playbook for our players because, you know, we, we've been talking about offense as a coaching staff since April. <laughs> and with yeah. them, you know, obviously they haven't been involved in all of that and they haven't been running it for that long. So today was building some some tools for them, some guys who are a little bit different learners. And we've got some tools we can give them where they can review it, review the playbook on their own. We want to make sure they have some video component to that. So I literally did that for almost all of today. And now I'm making you get on a computer and talk to me. I mean, you must be, you're sick of this technology stuff, Kevin. No, you know, this is, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. Anytime I get to, to watch basketball, let alone watch my own team, let alone help them get better. Yeah. Uh, is the most, most important thing I think in my job. Um, the only other thing I did today was email our director of athletic communications and our athletic director just to make sure that I could do this. You know, I'm, I'm an assistant coach. We typically don't get media requests, so I didn't want it to pop up somewhere. And uh, what I will tell you is that the folks at George Washington are, are pretty stoked that I'm doing this podcast. So I, I think it's pretty cool. Fantastic. I, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. You are the first uh, basketball coach, I think. Going, I'm going through my brain real quick. Uh, yeah, you're the first basketball coach I've had on. I think it's it's really fascinating to talk to coaches because obviously it's, it's such a specific thing. And so I, I want to get into how you got into coaching. And I think we sort of start that conversation by talking about uh, how you grew up. So where did you grow up and, and what role did sports play in your childhood? So I grew up in central New Jersey um, and I'm from a basketball family. So my mother was a division one basketball player. She played at LaSalle in Philadelphia, uh, was actually the team captain in 1983 when they made their very first NCAA tournament. And she was a high school girls basketball coach for about 25 years. Wow. And in the state of New Jersey, um, high school coaches are not allowed to have any contact with their players outside of the um, date-mandated playing season. So there was a stretch where my father would coach her players in AAU because she wasn't allowed to. So he would coach <laughs> them in the summer. She would coach them during the year. They got a um, system worked out. I like that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. They have a little bit of a different basketball philosophy, so that didn't last super long. <laughs> I had to make yeah. some other arrangements going forward, but um, basketball was really important to our family, and, and we all played a lot of sports. Uh, you know, so my my parents were very influential in that, just in the let's get our kids involved kind of way, and and never in the let's make them do one sport or another. So yeah, I'm one of five boys. I have four brothers. Um, one played football. One played baseball. One played tennis. Um, you know, all of us played basketball at one point. I think I, basketball stuck with me the deepest and the longest. Um, my youngest brother is actually, he does, he's still in high school now. He's a performing arts person. He's in musical theater. He's oh, very talented, but look at that. He sort of, he's, he sort of broke free. So, yes. so, so how long, how long did you, how long did you play basketball yourself then? So I, I played from the time that I could probably dribble. So three or four, well, I could physically dribble around three or four. I wasn't actually good at it until I was like 12 or 13. Um, and then I played up until high school was over, and, and I was – growing up, I wanted to play for Coach K and, and be J.J. Redick when I grew up. That was my goal in life. <laughs> um, obviously, that didn't work. So uh, I, I was going to play a, a smaller a level of college basketball and, and actually sustained a couple of concussions my senior year of high school that I, I kept under wraps 
cops and I didn't tell many people about, but I had three or four concussions my senior year of high school. Um, and, Wait, and from, had to hang from, up the from playing, from, from playing basketball, from playing basketball. Yeah. By the time I got to high school, I had stopped playing other sports. I had played a very little bit of football, some baseball, some soccer. Um, I was wondering if you were like jumping off roofs in your free time or something. No, not at all. My, <laughs> my concussions, they were all senior year too. One was diving on the floor for a loose ball. I got kneed in the head and then my head was crushed between a knee and a court. Jesus. Um, couple of other ones, just, you know, a ball to the face, the fist to the head, not a punch, but so a couple of things that just didn't go my way. And, and when basketball had to be done, I wanted to go to a basketball school when I was going to college. And I was, I was fortunate enough that I was able to go to school and, uh, I wanted to go to a place that was pretty basketball centric. Um, and so I thought maybe the university of Connecticut would be a cool place to go. And their women had just won the national championship. Yeah. I think they play some pretty good basketball over they're, there. They're, they're not bad up in stores and, and the men had just been to the final four. Um, so I decided to go to UConn and, um, through my mom's coaching, she had a couple connections with some folks up there and, um, I stopped in the office probably my third day of class, asked how I could get involved and started as a a practice player. And I think my real journey in basketball kind of started then. I love that. So when, I mean, you had to have thought at least at some point that coaching might be for you, right? I mean, I find the idea of coaching so interesting because obviously it takes a certain type of person and a certain type of mindset to be a coach. And and as you just said, you're sort of coming from a family of them. So that makes sense. But what, what allowed you to think that you would make a good coach? Because obviously not everybody is. I mean, you could take the best basketball player in the world, and, and, and he or she is probably not going to have the mindset to, to be a leader in, in terms you know, in a coaching capacity. What made you think that you'd be good at it? Yeah, I, well, for a long time, I didn't think I'd be good at it. I was actually just having this conversation with a friend of mine today. She's overseas playing and was asking how I got into coaching. And um, it was kind of a, like the worst kept secret in the world, I guess, like that I, I never really thought this was going to be my path. Um, but then when the opportunity presented itself to me, it seemed like it was the most obvious thing in the world at the same time. So it's a little confusing in that way, but I think it, it just stems from being around basketball thinkers for a long time from my family, you know, my, my mother and my father who, who thought about the game a lot. We watched it all the time. We talked about what teams were doing. This is like, you know, I'm 12 years old and it's a Monday night and, our families around the TV talking about why Duke is attacking his own this way. So <laughs> right. that that's just sort of how our family operated. That's how we spent our time. My dad would, you know, we would go on little family trips up to Newark to watch Seton Hall play and against teams when they came to town. So we were always watching. And so I think because I was constantly thinking about the game when I was playing it and then all the time when I wasn't, that became kind of a natural skill for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you spend seven years – at practice with Coach Ariema and Chris Daly and those guys at Connecticut, and and it just becomes something that you you breathe, you know, that the thinking about the game and learning about ways to not only strategize but play, ways to think, ways to act on the court, ways to conduct yourself as a basketball unit, just became something that I, I felt so strongly about. Um, and I've had a chance to be around a lot of really good players and a lot of really good coaches, and I've. I feel like as lucky as I've been, I've taken a lot of opportunity to learn from them. Um, and so when my number got called and, and when the opportunity kind of shoved itself right in my face, I, I felt 
nervous, but I also when I when I have a chance to look back at it now, know that I was really prepared. Yeah, because I was paying attention all that time. So so walk me through your path at UConn from you know your first week on campus and you're saying hey what can I do to you know you know how far you were able to get there. How does that happen? What steps do you take and and how do you sort of progress from from day one? Yeah, I think the most important thing is that it all stemmed from my love for the game. You know, I I was going through something as a first week of freshman year college student that a lot of my players go through either their senior year of college or a couple years thereafter where basketball becomes something other than the only thing that identifies you. So in high school, that's all I was. You know, I, I missed social events. I missed dates. I missed all kinds of things because of basketball and people didn't understand that. So yeah. going to college when that was kind of not my identity anymore, it was really, really odd. Um, and so I had to kind of turn back to my love for the sport. And so that's when that prompted me to go in and talk to Shay Ralph, who is now a, one of my role models professionally and also a, a friend of mine and somebody I had a chance to work with for a long time. And she's kind of a legend in the sport, but she was funny. She said, you know, we've got a chance today if you want to come back in a couple hours and do a workout. And that workout happened to be with Tina Charles, who was the consensus player of the year that season. And so my first time playing basketball, really, since my high school career ended, was against the soon-to-be national player of the year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no so big deal. I, You're fine. You know, she's a big girl. She's, she's strong. She's one of the best players in the world right now. And um, she was kind of just reaching the tipping point of her success. And I, I remember I pushed her a little too hard, and she was <laughs> – annoyed and, and the coach running the workout was like yeah tina you need it so wow that, from day one at uconn that level of raising the expectation and and chasing greatness has kind of stuck with me for a while so i, I spent a year as a practice player um and then three years as a student manager again those pesky concussions kind of got in my way and and once i was outed for being concussed all the time it was probably in, in everybody's best interest that I stopped playing but oh, man, man. I was able to stick around with the team for a long time and got a chance to learn more of the ins and outs of not just the coaching but the day-to-day -day operations of a team which is really really important at the college level to understand how that works um, and then you know I don't know if it was really good timing or just privilege or luck but a lot of things kind of fell into into place and I was kind of in the right place at the right time um, we had a, a full-time staff member leave, so I was supposed to be a graduate assistant and I got promoted to full-time staff after a month and a half. And so I was working, doing video and, um, also basketball operations. And then coach Ariema was working with the national team. So I became the uh, video coordinator for the women's national team for the 2014 world cup wow. and the 2016 Olympic games in Rio. Um, where I met my current boss. And so I was doing video and operations at UConn, video for USA Basketball. And when Jen Rosati got the head coaching job at George Washington, I came down to be her graduate assistant because I wanted to, to change up a little bit of stuff in my career and, and maybe pursue something other than just video. Um, and after a year down here at GW, we had a couple staff changes and she asked me if I wanted to be a coach. So it kind of took a couple different turns. I, I had my hand in a little bit of everything. You know, I was playing against the national champions. Then I was a student manager for the, the team for three years. I was a graduate assistant for like six weeks. I was a video coordinator for a year and a half. I did operations for a year and a half um, and, and got a chance to, to be around a lot of great basketball minds. So 
when when that opportunity came in the spring of 2017, it was like like I said before, it was surprising, but at the same time, the only thing that made sense. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, and it it, it might sound strange, but when you're at UConn, you know when you are, and 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 this women's basketball team is is expected to win the national title every year, is expected to quite literally never lose. Is it fun? I mean, it, is the pressure just so high? What is that atmosphere like when you are widely regarded as maybe the best team in, in all of sports, not just women's basketball, not just college basketball, just everywhere? That has to be so anxiety-inducing. Is there room for any fun when quite literally, if you make a mistake, if you if you slip up on a Tuesday night on the road – it's it's a big deal. It, what what's that atmosphere like? Yeah, you know, I I think um, it's it's all bred in championship level behavior and not just on the court, but in everything that they do up there. Um, I was lucky to play a really small part of that for for a pretty small part of the time that they've been up there. Um, I, that that is always a a thought that people ask about and because they conduct themselves with such championship level behavior all the time, you know, that's, that's never really a factor in the equation. Um, those kids are some of the most motivated in the country, some of the most talented, obviously, Mm -hmm. but the way that they conduct themselves day in and day out, there's just a level of expectation that is, is maybe a little bit different from everywhere else that, that a lot of other schools, you know, try to emulate. We're, we're trying to emulate that right now. They set a really high standard, um, what I will tell you is that in my experience, in my seven years there, it was a lot of fun. Um, we, <laughs> yeah. won a, we won a lot of games, and, and those kids battled. And some of the games that they that they didn't win were some of the best games I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, most competitive games I've ever seen in my life. I remember there was a year they lost in triple overtime at Notre Dame. Um, there was a year we lost at the buzzer in the Big East Championship to Notre Dame, and. Uh, obviously the, those ones, you know, the losses kind of stick in your craw a little bit, but those, those kids I think have in, and coach Ariyama has been able to instill in them a sense of expectation about how they prepare and the way that they operate. That is definitely something the rest of the rest of us are trying to match. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like when I was thinking about you at UConn, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, maybe this is a weird line for me to draw and just making this all about myself now, but I went to, I went to Michigan state. And so okay. as, as a, as a state fan, you know, we're going into talking men's basketball. Now we're going into the season for the first time in school history, ranked number one. And it's, you know, it's national championship or bust, obviously. And I, even, even as a fan, I'm sitting here like, just get me to March, just get me well, to March. Yeah. None of this is, none <laughs> of this is fun. Like, right. you know, if we lose, it's a nightmare. Like I, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm struggling to just figure out where, uh, like, and it's, it's obviously a great problem to have. I'm very excited to watch them all year, but it is that thing of like going into a season number one with all these expectations. It's almost just like, Oh God, like it, th- there's no room for any of this to surprise me in any sort of fun way. I just, I wonder like how that, you know, sort of a- affects, you know, practices and day-to-day life when you are expected to be the best day in day out it's just i i feel like i'm going through that on a a much smaller uh more selfish level in my own personal life at the moment yeah what i'll tell you is that i i didn't have much control over whether or not the team won or lost but i can imagine that it's much more 
that there's much more anxiety when you don't have control over the outcome. So, oh, thank you. So you are telling me that I am justified in being a crazy normal. person. You're, what you're feeling is very normal. Thank you. Uh, oh, I can't. You know that make, that means a lot to me. <laughs> Yeah, you got to get yourself on the coaching staff, and you'll feel like. Oh better. Jesus! <laughs> That's the last thing they need. Believe me, I worked for when I was at State for three years. I worked for the athletic communications department, and I think that's as close as they want me to the floor. That's all right. At least you're you're a diehard Spartan. That's all that matters. Yeah, interesting time to be one, but uh, yeah, we're uh, expectations are high. I'll you can you know whatever. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So here's 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 sort of the million dollar question. We're talking all this basketball. Basketball is your life. You're studying it. You're playing it. It, it sounds like it's all consuming. Uh, has basketball uh, at least back then? Uh, did it get in the way of you thinking about your sexuality? Um, very much. I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for people whose experiences were different from mine, but uh, you know, where, where I came from and what I was thinking and how I was acting and where I went to school, I went to a Catholic high school. Um, it was, it was very, you know, there was, it was so dichotomous. It was so challenging in my mind to, to be able to reconcile being an athlete who, wanted this to be a part of his life forever and you know the the catholic school notwithstanding also trying to deal with coming to terms with my sexuality so the only thing i've done longer than basketball is be gay i just didn't know it at the time you know so my life now is a is the perfect uh, combination of those two things i think and and people laugh like the you know, I was talking to my boss about doing this podcast, and she said, "Are you nervous?" I said, "No. The only thing I can talk about more than basketball is being gay." So, <laughs> like this, this now, it, it's fun to look back. It's not fun. Uh, you know, it was very real and very scary. But it's you know, I, I look back with confidence in myself that I've grown a lot. Um, so, growing up as an athlete, trying to trying to make sense of all this was really very challenging. And my basketball journey has actually been kind of a saving grace as I went through a couple of dark places, uh, in coming out. Um, you know, I, again, I, I was super privileged in the way that I was able to come out. My family was very supportive. Um, my brothers and my parents, you know, my basketball community by the time I was coming out was, I don't know, 18 to 22 year old college women. So <laughs> right. I, I was really fortunate that thank some God the for people, them. Right. Yeah, right. Some of those people I was coming out to at the time were some were dealing with similar issues. So we were able to connect in that way. Um, some folks who were navigating their own coming out process, uh, and then others were just yeah. I firmly believe you meet your best friends in college. Those people fortunate enough to go end up meeting some of their best friends in life there. So those people that I was coming out to in a really challenging space in my life are now still my closest friends. Um, and it just so happened that we were able to share that whole connection together. So that was what was most meaningful for me was that I was going through a really challenging time, but I was able to do it with people who were really supportive in a way that we were, we were all doing something we loved. So basketball ended up being really helpful in that process. Now being where I am now, and and actually one of my student athletes asked me about being a, an out uh, gay coach in college basketball. I, I think the the resources, not just the resources, but the community at at GW, has been so uplifting. You know, I I 
am fortunate enough that I don't have to think that much about my sexuality in the workplace. I feel very lucky that we are a university that not only is so accepting uh, and embracing of different kinds of people from different backgrounds, of different ethnicities, of different religions and sexual orientations, but that we find the power in that and the power of different people uniting our athletes because that's kind of the power of sport in general. So I'm, I'm getting super philosophical. but No, not at all. I think it's great. Yeah, I think basketball has been a, a tremendous vehicle for first hiding my sexuality all the way through, you know, driving me all the way through the process to being where I am now. Yeah. So when – so if you don't mind me asking, when did you come out? I um, first – came out to a friend in college who was not basketball related it was very like testing the waters a non-basketball related friend kevin yeah so how I had, did like, you six find this them. how did you find this person the, she she was a friend who lived in my dorm and it was you know in like college when you keep your dorm room open your freshman year because you think that's like the cool thing to do and oh, really yeah, swing it's on through safe. man yeah yeah so people are like walking down the hall saying hello and um, a couple people, I was friends with a couple guys on my floor and, and it was a co-ed dorm. So the girls lived upstairs and it was, it was a, a young lady who lived upstairs that I still keep in touch with tepidly, but she was the first person I came out to and, um, helped encourage me to come out to a couple more friends who then helped me and, you know, encouraged me to come out to my parents and my family. Yeah. So I was about 18, I think just before my 19th birthday. Yeah, a similar story to me. I mean, because I think you know the way you're talking about college. It, it's, I mean, it's such a cliche thing to say, right? But it is just like this fresh start, this new beginning, especially for me because I I didn't go to high school in in Michigan. I'm from there originally, but went back for college, so I knew nobody. So it, it truly was like, oh, I get to reinvent myself in this way. And it was my similar situation. It was a co-ed dorm. But the girls were not on the floor above; they're on the same floor on the other side of the building. Thank you. Um, and it was progressive, I guess. Oh man. So progressive. Um, it was, and it was that same thing of just like, you know what that's like freshman year of college. You have no idea what you're doing. You're like just trying to meet people and trying to be cool and trying to fit in and trying to be an adult, but trying not to care, but caring too much. And then you're, you know, you're just meeting all these new people and it, 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 yeah, you just, it was the same thing for me. I was just like, find myself on the other side of the building and like the girls rooms. And all of a sudden I just felt like very comfortable with everybody. And it, the coming out thing wasn't even so much of a conscious choice as it was just like, I think, you know, I just started saying it, you know, and it was just, I was just comfortable. And it, it that's, you know, I think the beauty of what, you know, a college experience can do. And I think that's why sometimes I talk to people who, who don't have that experience. Cause well, it's different because college can be terrible for people. And I've talked to people on this podcast who have gone to big, you know, sort of universities and really struggled. So I think it's a personal, it's a personal thing and, and it's different for everybody, but having that freshman year experience of just like being a new person in a new town is such a crazy specific thing. I think for like young gay people, yeah, there's there's a lot of anxiety in it, you know, like I was I felt like everybody I met at UConn went to the same high school. Yeah. Or right. knew something from some other school in Connecticut and I felt like I was the only one who didn't know anybody because I was from New Jersey and ultimately that's not true and I got to meet lots of people who weren't from there, but in those first couple of weeks when you're trying to make friends as a regular person it was definitely challenging and there's an, an opportunity to reinvent yourself, but then there's that nagging fear that comes with your own, whether it's internalized homophobia or however you'd like to describe it, 
of what if they don't like that new person either? So you don't even like yourself. How are they going to like you? It's all so toxic and problematic yeah. and yeah. some I'm happy to have in the rear view mirror, but I do, I can still think back and I'm sure if I went through my old iTunes library, I could even find the <laughs> moody playlists I, I had at that time that I thought was the best way to, um, to cope with my feelings. You oh, know, that it was just sure. really, it was very, there was tons of anxiety and lots of stress in that way. I know. I remember walking with my big old iPod that was like 50 pounds. Wait, so wait, how, sorry, how old are you? I am 28. Okay, so I am a few years older than you, but I feel like we we have similar iPod, iPod uh, we stories. We probably had probably. similar iPods. Um, my iPod, you know, it was like 50 pounds, and it was this huge white thing. It, like, barely fit in my pocket, but I remember I would, like, walk around campus, you know, late at night, like, and, like, you know, you're, like, 18. You're, like, oh. Joni Mitchell, like she's the only one. I, I'm the only person who really gets it. You know, these people around here just don't understand. And I would yeah, like, I, would I was act- like, I was like big Paramore and Panic at the Disco at the oh, time. Sure. And I, you know, they still make their way on my playlist now. But that's and that's not, and Kevin, that's fine. Yeah. Well, no, I know it was great. It was like it was everything I needed. It was very much, you know, they they had my back when I didn't think anybody else did. But. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. I know it's funny sometimes like it is that thing of like a friend of mine, a friend of mine and I were just talking about this the other day like I will still hear songs from college like songs that for whatever reason it became a thing that we would just like lay out in the front yard in the summer yeah. and just like listen to music and we were just like drunk and we were listening to like I don't I don't even I don't like bright eyes and like band of horses and all this music and we were like man <laughs> it'll never be like this again and if I hear those songs now I feel so sad <laughs> it just brings you right back it's so funny that we thought we were the coolest in the world and Everybody. kids they heard them, like that's what you guys did I know and like I think of just the time we just used to sit that's what we that's all we did we would just sit around and it was amazing, but like I think back, and like we felt like we were so old, you know, like thinking and so about lot, yeah, like we've been so tried by the world, just, yes, yeah, being twenty two years old. If I meet a twenty two year old now, I'm like, can do? Where is your babysitter? Like I, it's crazy to think about me at twenty two, thinking I had everything figured out, sitting outside listening to music, drinking a beer. I'm like, man, I'm I'm an old man now. Like I do think the the struggle of my early college years and and navigating through my sexual identity is really helpful for what I do now. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. My, my players and and I I don't know how many of them are dealing with the exact same issue that I am. I'm sure not many, but um, they're all going through something. Every young person's going through something or thinks that something is the end of the world or, or are really dealing with really traumatic things that have happened in their lives or, are you know dealing with things at home or struggling in school or struggling with being away from home um so having that experience of having been in a place that was a, a little bit dark and in a place that made me really come to terms with who I was and spent a lot of time focusing on the things that I loved in order to find happiness i i think that gives me great insight into what they need now they need to be able to be in touch with their emotions and and find outlets to, to really feel things. That's the only way to get through them is to feel them. But they also need to know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that, that none of this is 
as horrible as it might seem right now. And yeah, it, I mean, you know, it's so crazy. I talk to athletes on here all the time, and I, I, I always say this to them, and I, I just think it bears repeating because it never doesn't blow my mind. I, you know, I think about you know me being in college, like I was saying, this like complete weirdo who was you know going to class and, and doing activities and involved and working and stuff. But like it, that just being a student in college and, and being a young person in college is so stressful enough. And there's so much that goes into that. When you, you combine that with being an athlete, it's crazy yeah. to me. I mean, the lives and I, I would get a little peek into it, just like working with the athletic department in a very, very small way. I was around it a little bit. And, but now, especially I'm thinking back, these kids are so young and they're going through so much, just figuring out who they are as people. And then they have to like play basketball on national television at the same time. It's wild. Yeah, and then I'm mad at them because they don't remember our play, so I'm telling them they need to study our playbook when they've got a midterm next week. And yeah, like it, the, the amount of things that they have on their plate is staggering. And we are doing them a favor, and we're also really challenging them. We're, we're raising the expectation that they have for themselves. And so playing a college sport is such a privilege, and I think my players recognize that. It's, it's a really exciting thing to do um, because they love basketball. Yeah. And we, we try to make sure, at least at GW, and I think, again, it's part of our our staff's collective experience at our different places, but we try to make sure our players are, are really ready for when the ball stops bouncing to, to know or be in touch with who they are. Um, that is obviously very personal for me. It, it's become a real pillar of my life is to be in touch with who I am. It just so happens that basketball is a big part of that. But we really try to, you know, on top of all the other things they have to worry about, to help them kind of really touch in, touch base with and, and be in touch with who they are as individuals because this is really fun and it's great. And some of them will do this for a really long time. Some of them could play for a long time. Some of them could graduate and, and be ready to get into coaching or stay in the sport in some capacity. And some are going to be done with basketball as soon as their college careers are over. But right. Whatever that case is, it's really important for us as a staff and, and certainly drawing on my own personal experience to really prepare them for what comes next. I think that is the best gift we can give to the people younger than we are is to, is to help them see who they are and, and help them get to that point and then be ready to, to live their lives authentically is, is the best lesson I've learned. I think there is sort of – some shared experience that goes into all of this. Like I find now when I meet people of, of a certain mindset, obviously, but when I meet somebody and they find out that I'm gay, I think there is this sort of experience where they feel comfortable around me and comfortable in being vulnerable because they're like, well, you've probably been through some shit, you know? So, <laughs> Yeah. So I think like, I think uh, you're probably you that like, conduit for your. Right. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like okay. Well, you you know people probably did things to you when you were growing up. It probably wasn't easy all the time. So let me tell you about my life. You know. I, and I think that's kind of a beautiful thing if it's done in a I don't know in a healthy in a healthy way I suppose. But I'm sure that for your players that uh, well I guess that's a question. I mean how how does your sexuality come into play with with the players you're coaching? How how do you address that? I mean. Do you tell them? Is it something that is is well known when players are coming to play for you? Uh, I imagine that's sort of tricky terrain to navigate. 
Um, it, it, when I first started, it was, and it's one of those things where because of how fortunate we are to be among the first generation of people who are able to come out in their teens and 20s yeah. safely, uh, there's no like guidebook in general, in the workplace in general. So we're talking about like established workforces that have been around for centuries. College basketball, college sports, there's like no – there are no great examples of how to do this, yeah. how to come out and how to be out. Uh, what I will say is that my authenticity in owning my sexual identity and owning my, my identity in general makes me a better coach. Um, so I, I will say that. But I think, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm now inclined to ask my players. Um, I'm sure some of them when they first met me didn't know. But the more they got to know me, I'm sure they, they did. There's, there's one thing that college-aged women's basketball players like to talk about, and it's themselves. It's <laughs> their hair. It's what they're watching on TV. It's what they're studying in school. It's what, what you think about all those things, or did you see that show, or are you listening to this album? And, and so by, by sharing my take on pop culture, I kind of give some things away. Um, <laughs> But I, what I will say too is – Are you and, you know, talking we, we to your players about, about Drag Race? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I have talked to my players about Drag Race before, yes. And so I'm trying to spread the gospel of Drag Race with, with as many of them as I can. Absolutely. But I, think, I think what's become really uh, special in the recruiting process ha- – or in the in the coaching process has been the recruiting. It's like – Right. I, you know, my, my boss has never given me any direction and she wouldn't because she's – incredible she would never say hide who you are because that's not who we are as a university it's not who we are as a basketball program it's not who she is as a boss i think i'm, I'm so fortunate to work for for somebody in in jen rosati who has been a champion her whole life and i think champions are really good at recognizing why haters hate it's because they've never been successful at anything oh i'm gonna so put that on a banner have, and i'll i'll buy that <laughs> You know, like like champions know when they look at somebody who and see them fail, they're like, wow, that person that person went on a limb, mm-hmm. and they they went somewhere to try to do something great and they didn't get to it. But that you know that's tough, but that's kind of life. Haters are the ones who revel in other people's success or in other people's failure, but have never had success of their own. So I'm lucky I've gotten to work for a lot of winners who understand how important it is to put yourself out there in order to be a winner yourself. So my boss has been really great, and, and so in this recruiting process, I've not had to hide who I am. My recruits, I follow our recruits on social media. I want to see what they're posting to see if they're the right fit for our program, but they follow me too. So they see pictures of me at Pride in D.C. and in New York. They see pictures of me or Instagram stories of me and my boyfriend out to dinner. They see me and my team celebrating something. So it's not something that I've ever – uh, as a coach, once I got into actually coaching, that I ever thought I had to hide. Um, it's and it's certainly something that in the last two years I've I've spoken about a little more openly with some of my players, some of whom are out, some of whom are allies and and are just curious, um, some former players who are now out. So I think that part of my identity and and helping that you know helping myself be a little bit more authentic has made me a more genuine person a more genuine basketball coach i would say it's enhanced my ability to do my job 
Yeah. Well, and I was talking to Kirk Walker on my podcast a, a little while ago, who's an assistant. Who is, assistant. He's terrific. Yeah. He's incredible. He's one of my my best role models I could ever have been fortunate enough to meet. He's, yeah. He's darling. He's incredible. And we were having this conversation sort of about what you were just saying about recruiting players. And he's, you know, just maybe hypothetically, you know, you run into somebody who you're thinking about, you know, bringing to your school and you, and you find out that, uh, you know, maybe they aren't okay with your lifestyle. In a way, what a blessing, right. To find that out and to, because that's probably not somebody you want on your team anyway. You know, so like to live this open, honest life is is a tool and a skill that you can use to your benefit because it's like, well, listen, if that's going to be a problem for you, this school might not be the right fit. Right. And and lucky for those recruits and their families, I don't get to make that call. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our our head coach gets to make that call. But Jen is is also the kind of person. The reason I want to work for her is because she's the kind of person who would react in the same way. It's a little naive. In this day and age of authentic identity, to think that you can be in a women's basketball environment and not be around somebody who knows somebody or is or loves somebody, right. a member of the LGBT community. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's a little unrealistic and it's a little naive. And so if and when we come into that situation, I, I'll be curious to see how – it's presented to us. Um, you know, I'd be curious to hear, well, you know, unfortunately we're no longer interested in GW because I was looking at the assistant coach's Instagram page and he was at a gay pride event. Like that would be for us the best reason to stop recruiting somebody that I could ever think of. Right. So exactly. Yeah. So, and, and we've been fortunate, you know, we, I've had, because of those things, I've had players reach out and, and not necessarily talk about, sexuality, but want to talk about identity, want to talk about being women of color in a country that disrespects women of color. So it, I feel really strongly that we're able to have conversations and start conversations, like you said, because they know that we've gone through some things, right? you know, and I can never pretend that coming out as a gay man in the United States will ever touch being a person of color, but in, yeah. in working with women of color and being a you know, being able to relate in some way to being uh, an outsider is a really powerful thing. So, you know, in, in the women's basketball community, we're really fortunate that we have a lot of people fighting for justice and fighting for a, a seat at the table. Yeah, no, and that's why having people like you in the position that you are is so important. I mean, because these, you know, these kids come in eight, I call them, I don't know. Do you call them kids? Do you call your freshman basketball here? 18 year old is a kid to me now. God, I'm I, I so call, old. I call them all kids. I, we've got a couple of graduate students on our team, two current grad students, two almost grad students who are like grown women. <laughs> and when we are with them, we're like so grateful that they're grown women, but I call them all my kids. You should. I think that's beautiful. My little children. That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why you being where you are is, is so important because it is such an impressionable place to be. I mean, 18 year old mind is, is still being molded. And I think when people are in places of power and authority, like you are, it it helps to shape mindsets of, of people. So I'm, I'm happy that you're doing what you're doing. So we're, so this is going to, uh, come out on October 30th. So next we're recording this a a few days in advance. So I want to know, wait, when is your, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you know the date of your first game? 
Well, I will tell you that our first exhibition, do I know the date of my first game? As if I haven't been counting down to it for like six months. <laughs> um, our first, we have an exhibition game this Sunday, uh, okay. October 27th. So hopefully we are feeling good. It doesn't count, but it's like good to get our players in a game environment. Of course. And, um, and then our, our season opener is November 6th at Villanova. Our oh. home opener is November 10th against Princeton. So we're, we're going against a couple of nationally recognized programs right out of the gate. So how does your life change right now? Once the season starts, uh, is there like in-season Kevin and like off-season Kevin? Um, no, I, I think – well, so that's – it's funny that you asked I that. should ask your what, boyfriend that question. Well, well yeah, he, he's the most supportive person I know other than my parents. My father still drives three and a half hours each way to come watch every one of our games. Oh. My mom is like, I'm not crazy enough to do that. They live stream it. I can just watch it online. <laughs> Oh, that's I love that though. Your dad so, sounds awesome. It's funny you ask that question. My um, I pride myself on trying to bring really consistent energy all the time. Um, I think as a, a young person who was going through some things, that was really helpful for me when people had the same energy. When I didn't have to worry about how somebody's going to react to how I'm feeling because I'm going through so many things today. Um, our players, are, you mentioned it before, and, and I kind of touched on it. Our players are all going through so much all the time. They have so many things they have to think about, their own expectations, their friends and family, all the things that they bring with them to then our team. And we ask them to abandon all that and bind together as a group. So my, my goal always is to bring the same energy every day. Win or lose, success or failure, to, to be consistent for them because in my life, those were the people that I found to be the most reliable when I was trying to figure some things out. So in season and out of season, I, I try to be the same with my players. Um, it, that just means that in practice, I'm one way and out of practice, I'm another. Uh, I'm, I'm very, I pride myself on being very good at leaving the basketball on the court. And so if you had a good practice or a bad practice, that doesn't matter when you come to my office an hour later for a meeting. What it does change is my social life, and so my friends. Um, and DC is a very social city, so I'm I'm fortunate to live here and take advantage of that. From you know May through September, sure. Uh, but so my my friends are also really understanding, and they're able to make social events out of our games, which is great because then I get to see them and, and hang out with them afterwards. But yeah. my, my life changes because I'll be glued to my computer or my cell phone, and I'll be on an airplane probably twice a week going recruiting going to away games um you know this is this is kind of what i live for and the kids are the most important thing so anything i can do to help make their individual season and their collective season a success is is really all that matters from now until hopefully very late march yes for, late late well, march yeah that's the plan. What does I mean? What is? Uh, how do you handle that with your relationship? I mean, you don't have to get too in depth here, but as you know, I've always found these these sort of relationships fascinating. Whether it's athletes or, or people working for teams who are just on the road so much, it, it must be kind of difficult. Yeah, it is. You know, we we benefit from my boyfriend Luke and I. We benefit from the fact that we live together. So. When I am home, at least we're in the same place. Um, and he happens to be a basketball fan. You know, oh, he's see, not clutch. the way I am, which is probably a good thing. Um, makes us talk about other things. And 
Uh, he's he's actually in the other room right now watching The West Wing, which is is something that we love to do. Just we've both seen the it, so West we just rewatch episodes. It's a very good basketball escape. Hold on, um, I need I need I want to dissect this for a little bit. So you're telling me that you and Luke, mul- not just once, you multiple times, you just go back and and watch The West Wing in its entirety. Yeah, so Luke is on probably his sixth or seventh time through it. This is only my second or third. Sixth so, or seventh time? Listen, it's it's arguably we're gonna get into some things here, but it's arguably the greatest television show of all time. Okay, here's two okay, two responses that I have to you to that. One, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh man. Two, no. You gotta hang up and go watch right now. Here's my thing about the West Wing. I have, I shouldn't say I have seen it. I've seen episodes. The I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge TV nerd and TV buff. The West Wing is a huge blind spot for me for some reason. I think because like to think about, and you guys are proving this to be wrong, but to think about going back and watching it is exhausting because there's just so much. Um, I would like to do that, but yeah. it. And I, I don't know. And also, like, we get it. You live in D.C. Right. So the, uh, you have to remember that I do have a, there's a special place in my heart for some of the issues that they talk about. I'm, sure. And, and I, I am very politically inclined. So That's good. I, I, I really find not only entertainment value, but it's kind of social justice value in the show. What I will say is that it also brings great hope for anybody who's been alive long enough to read a headline anytime in the last couple of years that it, it kind of reminds you I I read an article a few years ago about how half of President Obama's staff was inspired to get into politics because of the West Wing. Okay. Because well, now it's a show you're making you, me feel bad. Well no, but it's a show that gives you hope about what good things can come uh you know, and it, it has its problems. It was started in the nineties and the female characters are often damsels despite the fact that they're the most powerful and uh, in- intellectual characters on the show. So th- it has its issues with with some injustice there, but it's definitely a show that leaves you feeling excited about working as a unit for a, a great cause, which I can okay. relate to, to my job. So um, you're, are, are you like before a game, you're like in your office just like watching Alice and Janney monologues, just getting yourself like so psyched? <laughs> Alice and Jenny is certainly, and I've been around a lot of successful, talented, strong women. My, other than my tall, mother, tall and maybe two or three really close friends, Alice and Jenny's up there for me, man. I love Alice and Jenny. She's terrific. And again, this is me never even have seen The West Wing. I love Alice and Jenny. Yeah, so imagine how you'll feel once you watch it. But Yeah, so, you know, uh, maybe I'll get around to it. <laughs> The, the the West Wing is is definitely one area where we're able to just kind of spend some time. It's like easy. It's we can turn it on and we, we end up spending three or four hours watching the West Wing to get along. Um, <laughs> yeah. But 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 you know we we are fortunate enough. We live in the city. We live around a lot of places to to spend time, and, and we're we're really strategic. Luke's a really big planner. Um, and so he's pretty okay. respectful of my schedule and he's really good at, okay, I know you have all this coming up, but what are you doing like three Thursdays from now? So far I have nothing. So let's plan something. But just you know, if we have a recruit coming to campus, I have to cancel all of our plans and that could happen Wednesday before. So, um, we, we're pretty flexible and we really try to plan as much as we can in advance that we're able to, to spend time together. And family is really important. 
as part of our university and our program culture. So I, I'm fortunate that I'm able to benefit from that as well, that I can spend time with the people I love because that's kind of how we operate. See, the, the thing that stresses me out about this concept of watching the same show so many times over and over is that there's so much other stuff to watch, Kevin. Yeah, so don't get me wrong. We don't come home and only watch The West Wing. What else are you watching? We Okay, so we're watching a couple of different things. We finished The Politician on Netflix, which was outstanding. Okay, Kevin, I, I – I, 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 uh, listen, I watched the first episode of The Politician – you got to give it some time. I can't. I literally getting to the end of the first episode was one of the most difficult experiences of my life. No, you got to give it some more time. And Ben Platt is the talent of a generation. He <sighs> deserves it. You owe it to him. I don't. Okay. Well, I'll bite my, I'll, We're also watching The bite, Crown, getting ready for The Crown season three to debut. Yes. Um, we love Claire Foy, so we're really excited to see what Olivia Coleman's going to bring to the table. Olivia Coleman's going to knock it out of the park. It's going to be fantastic. We are. I'm trying to get Luke to watch American Horror Story. He's not big on that, but I get to talk about it with my team, which is why I started watching it, and okay. then I became obsessed, and I've watched every episode ever. So trying to get him to be a little bit more receptive to that. Um, you're a big Ryan, then, you're a Ryan Murphy queen, apparently. I, I'm a big Ryan Murphy fan. I think he's crazy and brilliant at the same time. Um, and then we also, for a little lighthearted fun, We've been doing The Good Place, which is really, really funny. Love The Good Place. The Good Place is great. They should call, so, it, they should call it The Great Place. <laughs> it's, been, it's been excellent so far. So we're trying to juggle all of that. And then Luke's personal favorite, um, when it comes time to do scouting, he can watch whatever he wants. And so I'm, I'll be oh, in the man. He's like, kitchen. oh, no, you're going out of town. Oh, Kevin, <laughs> I'm going to miss you so much. do whatever he wants. He has the apartment to himself. He's, yeah, everything's fine. See, so. that, I mean, honestly, that sounds like an ideal relationship to me. I like the idea of having some, like, forced time apart. Like, I think that's healthy. I think that that, like, probably makes your relationship stronger. Like, I, I that's ideal to me. Well, and Luke probably likes it because – when I'm here, I'm a little bit of a tornado during the season. I like have laundry. Maybe it gets into the hamper. Maybe it doesn't. I've got stuff oh, that I no. leave out. Maybe I put it away. Maybe I won't. And Luke's so a big planner. You I must be driving him nuts. You know? Oh, my gosh. Well, listen, I, that sounds great. I, 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 I'm going to ask you something, and I, if I'm wrong on this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really mad at myself. But something tells me that you are a big Friday Night Lights guy. You know, it's funny. I hate this. Don't don't even answer. <laughs> I have so much anxiety about the sport of football. Because of concussions? Because no- nothing in my childhood could have exposed me more than me continuing to play football. I didn't ever like watching it. I didn't ever like playing it. I thought that alone made me gay. You know, this is me, 12 years old. Like, I must be gay because I don't like football. Um, yeah, sure. and so I, unfortunately I carried that around and, and just like I told you that Ben Platt deserves your time. I think Tim Riggins deserves mine. So Yo, maybe well, let me, do- Kevin, let me tell you, Tim Riggins definitely deserves your time. I will. Tim Riggins. Yes. I've heard Tim Riggins definitely deserves my time. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make this pledge to you, Dan. No, I hate, I, no, I know where you're going and I hate this. And I, I, I painted myself into this corner before the season ends. I'm going to finish all of Friday night lights. Okay, fine. And you have until the non-conference season ends. So just after 
the Christmas holiday to finish The Politician. And it shouldn't even take you that long. It's, oh. You should be done by the end of this weekend, really. Before this podcast airs, you should be done with The Politician. No, BoJack Horseman comes out this weekend, which is one of my favorite shows. I'll be watching that. But after BoJack, I will... Fine. I will. Yeah, I will make that pledge to you. We have to check in. Well, I will. Uh, we'll check in with each other because I would like to know. And also, you're going to want you're going to love Friday Night Lights so much that you're going to want to talk to me about it because it's I a- know. And I believe you. My problem is going to be that my schedule is just a little limited. So you're um, going to hear from me and then you're going to think that I stopped watching. And I did. But only because I have two scouts in seven days, you know, you're going to ghost me about Friday Night Lights. Haven't I, been, I, I, I get enough of this in my daily uh, life, Kevin. <laughs> not all this can be in relationships where we watch the west wing that's true um okay no i fine i respect that and uh, but you know the the caveat to this is not only are we going to do that at some point after you finish friday night lights you have to come back on the show and we can talk about it i can do that and i can update you on how our team's doing and yes um all that good stuff i think i think there's a healthy balance between Netflix and opponent scouting, and that is, that's what like a cornerstone of what I've built my career on. There you go. See, you've got it all figured out. You've got everything figured out. Like maybe one thing figured out, but but I'm glad <laughs> you think I've got more than more than that. Fine. All right. Well, I I like I like the pledge that we've made to each other. Um, so to wrap up here, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm, I'm happy that we're grabbing you at this, you know, on the precipice of you becoming in-season Kevin. Um, what are your goals for this season? And I don't mean wins or losses. I don't mean, uh, you know, a, a conference title. I don't mean making the tournament. I don't mean any of that. Just personally for you, what are you hoping to accomplish with your team this season? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's, I'm glad you gave me that caveat because I don't know that there's any coach in the country who would not say those things. Um, but I think there's there's just a love that I have for my players, for our players, for these women who have trusted us and whose families have trusted us, for them to come to Washington, D.C. and play for – a really unique group of people, um, and and the, you know these these families trust their daughters with us. These young women trust their lives and their careers with us. Um, I, I take that responsibility like really seriously um, in the way that we do everything. So because I can't say a conference championship, uh, which which is in the back of my mind, something that we're working towards every day and everything we do. Um, it's, it's to, is to help these guys as much as I can be better every day to have better energy every day and be a little bit more prepared for what comes next, whether that's our next game, whether that's next year, whether that's the, for our, our players who are graduating for, for what comes after college. Um, I think a lot about my own experience and a lot about, how the experience at GW is different from so many places. And I feel so fortunate to get to work at a university um, to, um, you know, I mean, I'm even taking classes at, at GW to get to be a part of a university community that is so focused on fostering a whole person that it just feels so significant that we can be in the most powerful city in the world 
um, and, and get our kids who are, who are here to play basketball to think about who they are and, and the world they're growing up in and what they can do to change it uh, and make it better because there are people like you and me who have had to go through some things because things were not great. Um, but more importantly, there are people like them. There are young women and, and people of color, um, people who are immigrants, people who are not from the United States, and, and people in the LGBT community who are struggling every day to just be people, to just live here. Um, so I, I guess my goal is to help them appreciate that with the privilege and the power that they have as college athletes, to take with that the responsibility of being somebody who is leaving the world a little bit better because of that, because they've got great power, they have great responsibility. Um, we say that a lot to our players who have experience. You know, you've got the, the power of getting to play because you've got experience, but with that comes a lot of responsibility on the court. So with being in a place like this and getting a great education at George Washington and getting to be around um, a really good coaching staff that whether I'm a part of or not would be excellent. Uh, the, the people that are here, I think getting to learn from them and, and, and almost forcing them to, to experience this and in full to, to recognize their power as young women who are going to change the world. That that's my ultimate goal. The conference championship will be nice when we win it at the end of the year, <laughs> but if they can, if they can be more powerful women by March, then, then I'll feel really good about our season. Well, listen, man, you're, you're the guy to do it. You're very impressive. And, and I have, I have full faith that you're going to, you know, change lives, uh, in, in the next calendar year and, and hopefully conference title too. So I, uh, I, I thank you for your time. I'm, I'm a G-Dub fan this season now. I, I appreciate I, that. It was, it's cool that after an hour you, you are already going right to G-Dub. That's we love that. Was that right? Did I do that right? Do I sound that like I know perfect. what I'm talking about? It rolled off your tongue. It was excellent. G-Dub. G-Dub, baby. G-Dub Nation. Baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. All baby right, man. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a, a crazy busy guy, and, and this was great to get you for, for an hour. And, I, uh, you know, like I said, I'll be following the season, and I, I, I guess I have to go watch The Politician now. You do. That's it's like the most DC thing, right? You got to watch basketball and watch the politician. Oh God, you, you're already just influencing me in ways I never <laughs> even imagined. Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. It, it means a lot, and and I I thank you for your time. that is it thank you so much for listening thank you of course to kevin for his time you know like i was saying i I feel like i have very specific rooting interest in the george washington women's team this season not just because of kevin being there but just the way that he talks about the school and the athletic department i think that's a model for how things should be done so congratulations to everybody there and uh i guess i have to go watch the politician now Uh, kevin's gonna come back i mean he's very busy obviously for the next however many months and like he was saying hopefully well into march but once the season is done and once he is hopefully done watching friday night lights kevin uh i will be done with the politician hopefully i don't know that might take me a while but by the time the season's over hopefully we're both done and he'll come back for a a special episode but best of luck to kevin and the george washington women's team this season uh thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks for another episode of same team thanks for listening daniel trainer signing off bye